Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. One of the themes that we've seen and talked about in this series is it's not just about you and your household. That as you minister to your parents, your kids, your spouse, it's a, a ministry that has like a ripple effect. That it's an illustration of the love Jesus has for his church and the love that the church is to have to Jesus. That it is, it is a testimony. And it's not enough for us to have a standard to stay married or to be faithful. Those are great things, but that's not enough. It's to make your marriage, <clears throat> excuse me, your marriage and your family a priority, a priority. And we've got to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's, it's not enough just to nod in agreement and say, I, I like that, that's good. I think that's applicable. I agree with that. that. That doesn't do anyone any good. It's only the word that we actually apply to our lives. That, that, that's what wisdom is. Through wisdom is a house built. It's taking things that you're taught. Nobody can fix your marriage. Nobody can fix your household for you. All that people can do for you is provide wisdom and understanding that, to lay out knowledge, and it's up to you to take it and begin to make use of it and apply it in your household, apply it in your relationship, to actually make changes. That, that's where the impact is felt. Let, let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 28, which we'll just read a couple of verses, but this whole, whole chapter is, is powerful. The first couple of verses say this, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And he starts to list this incredible list of blessings for the next 12 verses or so. It's where he starts saying, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. This, I mean, thorough, powerful, rich series of blessings. How does somebody enjoy the blessing of God? What does he say? He'll bless you if you do what? All these blessings shall come upon you. They'll overtake you. This is like aggressive blessings. How do you qualify for it? All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you, because you what? Because you obey the voice of the Lord, your God. It's through obedience, actually doing what God instructs us to do. Taking God's word and being doers of the word of God. That's how you qualify for the blessings that God wants you to experience. It's not disobeying and then praying over your disobedience that that doesn't People think disobedience plus prayer equals obedience. Praying does not, is not a substitute for, for obedience. You've got to be obedient to the word of God. And I'm pro-prayer. We're going to take time to pray here. I, I, I love prayer. Prayer is powerful. But prayer is not a substitute for obedience. And people have, have gotten a, a mindset that I can do things my own way. I'll just kind of make God's word like gentle suggestions. I'll do what I think is best. And then I'll pray to try to cover up my disobedience. That doesn't work. The, it, obedience is obedience. You, you, can't, you can't just gloss over disobedience with prayer. You know, it's, tithes and offerings are a great example of this. And one of the reasons we take time every week to teach on the importance of tithing and bringing offerings into the house of God. Because there are areas of our lives you can't disobey and then pray to make up for your disobedience. That prayer loses, it. there's areas where prayer is not going to impact if you're staying in disobedience. So if people want prayer, I, man, I want God to bless me financially. Could you pray for my financial situation? Well, we can, but if you're choosing not to obey God, if you're not tithing, if you're, if you're walking in disobedience when it comes to your finances, God has given, given a way for you to experience the blessing of God. So if you're rejecting that and then ask for God to bless you anyway, you've really tied the hands of God because he can't bless disobedience. You know, I'm, just, I'm not gonna do what God's word says. I'm just trusting that God's gonna... No, trusting God means doing what he says to do. I, I'm trusting your word. That's what trust looks like. So just uh, to apply that to marriage. If I, if I asked you to pray for my wife and I, could you pray for Beth and I? We're going through a hard time. She's angry with me all the time. She's upset with me all the time. Could you just ask God's blessing on my marriage that he would, you know, just sweeten it? And then you also found out that I'm living with some other woman. Your prayer is not going to, 
What needs to change is I've got to yield to the word of God, right? You're not going to pray away my disobedience. There's consequences to disobedience, and there's a blessing to obedience. So it's, it's foolish for people to say, I can disregard the word of God when it comes to my relationships, or really any area, and then just pray God's blessing in. No, you obey God's blessing in. That, that, that's where we experience the blessing of God. So, so when, when it comes to families and relationships, it's so important that we yield to the word of God, that we apply the word of God, that we obey, not, not what we think is best, what culture thinks is best, that we build our homes, build our lives on the rock. In Matthew chapter seven, that's what Jesus talked about. Building on the rock is hearing God's teachings and then doing them. That's the person that builds their life, builds their house, builds their marriage on, on the sure foundation. And so that everything, we want to come back to the word of, of God. Let, let me read you from Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, that's just a couple of verses out of the creation account. Most of us are familiar with Genesis chapter 1. God sp speaks the universe into existence. Let there be light. He creates for six days in a row, and then it, it, kind of the, the end of it is him creating humankind. And that's very basic, but it's important. It's important because people are being taught things that contradict what the Bible tells us when it comes to how all of this came to be in the first place. That the way the earth got to be here, the way that you got to be here was not some big bang. It wasn't, it wasn't a series of evolutions that took place. The way that mankind came about was that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us create him. There, there are schools and people have been, been teaching this for years and years and years. And some people said, well, it doesn't really matter as long as we, as long as we accept the rest of the Bible. Well, that's foundational. And if you get, if you bring confusion when it comes to the, how this all started, now you've got grounds for, for confusion in every other area. And you can see how that's played, played itself out. People are confused about the most basic things, like how many genders there are. Well, this passage even addresses that male and female. He created them that there are, there are two genders, not three or four, or, you know, however many they choose to add to the list that male and female, you are one or the other. And I'm not trying to, to pick on people or, or be harsh in that area, but God's word is truth. And we've got to regard all of it all the way through. Now, how does this apply to families and marriage? And what, what in the world are we talking about? We're not off topic. God is the one who designed mankind. He formed you. He fashioned you. In the, in the next couple of chapters, Genesis chapter two, he creates the marriage covenant. It was his idea. Yeah. It was his design. He's the one that came up with it. So we've got to go to him. How does this operate best? How do husbands and wives, how does a family really work properly? How does this thing not become a, a series of heartaches and disappointments and frustration? This was God's design. The family in, in Genesis chapter four, Adam and Eve start having children, the family unit. It was God's design. It's not for the government to define. It's not for Hollywood to speak into and say, this is the way that relationships should work. It's not for some school board some way to offer their opinion. God, this is God's. God's the one that came up. It's his. No, nobody else has any business saying this is the way that it should go. This is what a marriage is. God, God's the one that came up with the whole thing. So if we're going to, it's easy to applaud that. that that's, it's foundational. As true as that is, that husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. That it's just as true as he made them male and female. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, honor your father. All of it is just as true as that foundation. So we build, we build upon that. And so we're going to take the, the next few minutes that we have together, and we're going to go into Ephesians chapter six and talk about the relationships between parents and children. Before we do that, though, I want to read you from, from Psalm 133. Psalm 133 says this, starting in verse one, it says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is 
for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life, life forevermore. It's talking about when brethren dwell together in unity, how wonderful, how good, how pleasing, how pleasant it is. Now we could apply that to humanity as a whole if we were all in unity. We could apply it on, on any scale, really. We can certainly apply it to a family, a church family like us. Man, how good and how pleasing, how pleasant it is when we are unified and there's no division. We can certainly apply it to our individual households, how good it is when there is unity. And the devil works in families not just to divide husbands and wives. He certainly works there. But he also works to try to divide parents and children. Anywhere that he can try to drive a wedge and bring division. He's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Anywhere that we give him room to operate, that's what he's working to do. To try to prevent this kind of atmosphere from being a reality in your household that where, there, where there's unity. Look, that, that, that entire passage is worth meditating on. The results of unity, how good, how pleasing, how pleasant. It's like oil, oil coming down on the, on the head, running down on the beard to the edge of the garments. It's a picture of the flow of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And God's spirit flows in that environment. So you can have an environment that attracts blessing, that there he commands his blessing, life forevermore. That means you can also create an atmosphere in your household that rejects blessing, that, that holds blessing back by a lack of well, a house full of strife, a house full of division, a marriage, a relationship with your kids, a relationship with your parents where there's constant tension and strife and division, that we, we've got to work to create unity. And that's, that's why God's word speaks to every role in the household, mom, dad, husband, wife, child, parent, all the roles are addressed because he's giving us insight. If you apply this instruction to your role, it creates an environment where there is unity. It all fits to get together and you are unified. It says it's like the dew that comes down from the mountain. You ever leave something outside overnight in the summertime when, the, when there's lots of dew, how things get, I mean, you leave something outside, it didn't even rain and it's soaking wet in the morning. You try to go walk across the yard late at night or early in the morning when, the, when the, everything's dewy and your, your shoes get soaking wet because it, 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 it affects everything. It gets, it gets everywhere. It affects you. You can feel it. You touch it. You notice it. You, you can tell the difference between dry grass and grass that is covered with dew. Right? It's talking about the blessing of God, the presence of God in environment where this blessing, the presence of God affects everything. And just like you can't walk across the yard without sensing and feeling and noticing the effect of the dew, you can have an atmosphere in your household. We can have an atmosphere in our church that is very similar, that you can sense the presence of God. Man, you can feel the blessing of God. I can just, I can just sense it because you can feel the opposite, can't you? Have you ever walked into a room? You, you don't even know what was going on. You just innocently walk into a room and you're like, oh. Yeah. Uh, you just know like, okay, someone's arguing, someone's fighting, someone in here is unhappy. You ever feel that? Like you can feel the strife and the tension. Like, uh, I'm just gonna back out and leave this room. It, it feels icky, right? You can feel the, the lack of the blessing in the presence of God. You can also walk into an environment. Whew, yes. Right? You sense the presence of God. That's what God wants for your home. Yes. Amen. It affects everything. Yes. Hanging out. So you have company come over, the mailman dropping off a package. Man, it's, it's like dew, right? You, you can say, it's undeniable. You can clearly tell the distinction. Man, the blessing of God rests on this home. It's unity, and it's not just husbands and wives. That, that's the epicenter. That's the core. That's important. But unity also applies to the relationship between parents and children. So in your Bible, flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, if you haven't done so already. Ephesians chapter 6, and this is picking right up flowing right through what we've been looking at from Ephesians chapter five. Verse one, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So it talks about 
children and parents. We'll kind of work our way backwards through this and address parents first. It says fathers, verse four, fathers do not provoke your children. It speaks to fathers as the head of the household, but this applies to, to parenting and parents generally, generally speaking. And it says, don't, don't provoke your children to wrath. Other translations say, don't exasperate. Don't frustrate. There's a, a couple of ways we'll talk about that you can exasperate and frustrate your children. Because it says, but do bring them up in the training and in the admonition of the Lord. So one way that you can frustrate, exasperate your children is to just completely not train them at all. Just to, to leave them to figure things out on your own. Have you ever had a job that your first day on the job, there, there was no training? They're just like, well, okay, go ahead and start. That's frustrating, right? I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. It's a parent's job to train up their children, teach them how to make decisions, teach them how to live this life properly. So when there's a complete void of teaching and instruction, it's frustration for their children. You're supposed to train them. Teach me how to do this. I don't know how I'm supposed to, to live. I don't know how I'm supposed to handle relationships. I don't know how I'm supposed to handle my money. Teach your kids. Train them up in the things of God. A second way that you can exasperate your children is the philosophy that a lot of people have is do as I say, not as I do. That if you give your children instruction and then live differently than the instruction that you give them, that's frustrating. That, that, that exasperates them because a parent is an example for their children. You're, you're, you are a model, whether you like it or not. Your children are going to follow the pattern. You, that, that's what you are. You are living out an example. So when someone is giving you instruction, but then the example they give you doesn't match the instruction, that, that is frustrating. Imagine if I was a math teacher and I was, I was teaching you how to do some kind of equation. And so I said, okay, here's the principles. Here's the way that you do this kind of equation. And then I said, all right, let me give you an example. And the example that I began to give you on the board, here's how you solve this equation. I completely disregarded all of the instruction that I just gave you. you you'd be frustrated. This doesn't make any sense. You're not following what you just said to do in the example. The example doesn't match the instruction. That's what some people's parenting is like. Hey, the things of God come first. We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be righteous. We're supposed to be honest. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be pure. We're supposed to be careful with the things we say and the things we look at, the things we listen to. And then you look at this example and the example violates all of the instruction, that's grounds to provoke your children to frustration and exasperation, that we are to teach them up, to train them in the admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. To admonish means this, it means to provide instruction as to correct behavior and belief. To instruct them, here's how you behave, here's how you believe. Here's the way to believe. Here's the way to behave. That, that's a parent's job. Yeah. If you're a mom or a dad, that, that's your job. That's right. As you read through the Bible, a lot of times Abraham is given as an example. He's the father of our faith. And so I want to use Abraham as an example. In Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 17, it says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Verse 19, for I have chosen him so that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. It's talking about why God chose Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham out of all the people to start his own special people, to start the Israelite nation, the Jewish people, God's own, own special people? Why did God choose? I mean, there's people all over the place. Why Abraham? Well, his faith is part of it. But according to this passage, it says, I've chosen him so that he, one translation says, because he will command his children. He will train them in the ways of God. There was a quality in Abraham that God knew, if I give this guy kids, if I bless him with children, I can trust he's gonna take his job seriously. He's going to command them. He's going to instruct them in the ways of God. He's gonna teach them and train them to follow the ways of God. It uses the word command. 
Again, verse 19, I have chosen him. Why did you choose him, God? I have chosen him because he will command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing. He will command them. That, that's strong language. That's not gentle suggestions. That's not little hints about what would be best and what wouldn't be best. A, a parent is to teach, to instruct, to command their children in the ways of God. I lost my amens. <laughs> to command them. To command the truth. Again, not, not gentle suggestions. And this is an area where a lot of parents make mistakes. And we, we can change that starting today. That it's not, it's not just, hey, I want my children to make their own decisions. When it comes to church, when it comes to reading their Bible, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to following God, I just want to give, I want it to be their decision. That, that, that is foolishness. The reason they have a mother and a father is because they're not ready to make their own decisions. That's why they don't just hatch out of an egg somewhere and go off living their life. That God has created a structure where he's given them a mother and a father and instructed those children. You listen to this man and this woman, you obey what they say, but you've got to have parents that are giving them instruction, something worthwhile to follow, to command your children. It is so foolish, that mindset, when it comes to the things of God, I just want them to make their own decision. I just want them to kind of figure things out on their own. That's why you're there. That's your job to teach them up and to command them. This is the way that we believe. And this is the way that we behave. We don't talk like that. We don't do that. We aren't engaged in those kind of things. This is the way that we live our lives. Here's our list of priorities. Here's what matters. Here's what doesn't matter. And if you applied that philosophy to any other area, you can see so easily how foolish it is. Think, think about just what kids like to eat. I just, I just want my kids to make their own decisions, you know? I mean, they've got to figure things out. You'd have kids that would just eat M&M's ice cream. You know, I mean, they'd be diabetic by the time they're three years old. They'd ruin their lives. Teeth rotted out of their head. I just want them. To, that's why they have you. You wouldn't be so foolish as a parent just to say, I just want them to make their own decisions. No, because that would spell disaster for them when it comes to their hygiene. You wouldn't just say, I want them just to navigate this on. This is an area. I just want them to figure things out. No, you let them know you need to brush your teeth every day. Brush your teeth or they're going to rot. You need to bathe or you're going to stink. No one's going to like you. You're going to smell bad. No one will want to be around you. There'll be a, an unpleasant fragrance emanating from you. Get in there and wash yourself. You, you wouldn't just leave it to them because you know what is best. So you instruct them. How foolish of all these areas that we, of course, that's so obvious. The enemy is tricked people into thinking that the most important area, that, that's where parents decide, you know what, they need to figure it out on their own. It's foolishness. And in, in much less important areas, we, we've got strict guidelines. You teach your kid. When you use the bathroom, you make sure you clean your rear end before you come out of there. Yeah, right? I mean, you, you, and, and then you wash your hands. And I, I'm not saying that just to be crude. I'm, I'm trying to make a point of th those areas. You make sure you, you got everything detailed of what to do and how to properly prepare yourself. And then in other areas, we just say, hey, you know what? In the most important areas, we just want them to try to navigate. And that, that's a lie. It's deception from the enemy to get you just to be negligent on your most important responsibility as a father or a mother. I'm not saying you should ne neglect those other areas. Please do a good job with those other areas. But don't neglect the most important. Your job as a parent is, is primarily is not to make sure they get to a good college, not to make sure they have a really nice high school experience and get to go to the prom and homecoming and all those kinds of things. It's not to make sure that they're successful on their sports teams and they get to start on the soccer field and all those kinds of things. It's not even about their career. It's not, their mo your most important job is to make sure that they love Jesus and serve him with all their heart. That, that is your job. That is the most important thing. That's your assignment, to teach them up, to train them. God was well aware of all the other parts of being a parent. There's all kinds of things he could have said, but this instruction for parents is to train your children and bring them up in the admonition of the Lord, not just how to figure out their taxes and all those kinds of things, how to drive a car. You, you'll figure all that kind of stuff out. First and foremost, teach your kids to love the Lord. And that's the one area so many parents just back away. That's why they have you. I'm, I'm shocked sometimes. You know, John, he didn't come to church today. He just, you know what? He just wasn't in the mood. He was playing video games late last night and uh, 
he, he just didn't want to come today. And I don't want to force it. I don't want him to get bitter towards it. And, you know, so I just kind of let, when it comes to this area, I let him make his own decision. How old is Johnny? 14. It, it, it's foolish. Yeah. You, you are failing to do your job. Now, at some point, they can, they can move on and do their own thing and make their own decisions. But as long as they live in your home, as long as they're, they, they can turn, if they turn 18, they want to move away and become a complete heathen, turn themselves into an idiot and do all kinds of stupid things, they, they can make that decision. But while, while they are in your house, while they're under your roof, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That that's the kind of philosophy you're supposed to lead your home with. As long as you're here, this is the way. You're going to be in church on Sunday mornings. That we're going to honor God. We're, we're not going to put up with that kind of garbage. That, that will not come in this household. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That, that's the philosophy that parents are supposed to have as they raise their, their children. And we've got to ingrain it into our kids to give them an example to follow. Again, in that passage, it was to train them not, not just to have a set of beliefs, but to do, to be doers of the word of God. And you are the example. So you teach them the beliefs and then you live it out in front of them. You got to live it out. Man, the things of God come first. The house of God, man, oh, God comes number one in our lives. And then you do stuff that's contrary to it. You're frustrating. You're exasperating your children. Man, the house of God's important. We're in church on Sunday. Well, you know what? Daddy's got a lot of work to do around the house and he's busy right now, so you guys go ahead. You're exasperating him. You're saying one thing and you're living something else. Man, the things of God are the most important things in the world. But how many days of weather do we get like this? So let's, let's get to the lake and let's enjoy, let's go golfing. Let's, you're exasperating. You're saying one thing. You're, you're living something else. Not just to teach, but to keep, to keep the ways of God. You know, we leave an inheritance for our kids. And the inheritance, that's not just, you know, silverware or, you know, family heirlooms. It's not just money and property. It can certainly include those things. But the most important inheritance that you leave for your children is your example, the beliefs, the doctrine. A, a love for the Lord is the greatest inheritance, the greatest legacy, more important than any amount of money. To, to leave an inheritance that your children love the Lord is the greatest inheritance. My, my father passed away about a year and a half ago, and he didn't, leave, he didn't leave us a dime. He would have loved to, but it just didn't work out that way. But what he did leave us is there's five of us kids that love the Lord and are actively serving him. And that, that, is, that is the greatest legacy. That's the best inheritance. Now, ideally, you have both. Ideally, you have both. But I'm sure if my father had to pick one or the other, he's pleased with the decision he made to raise up children, to love God, and to know him, and to serve him with all of their heart. That is the greatest legacy. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13 says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Again, that's not just talking about financial inheritance, that the way that you live your life, it's not just about you. That there is a ripple effect of your life that goes through your children and to your children's children, either for the good or for the bad. And so a wise man, a wise woman will decide the legacy I leave, the ripple effect that will affect not just my children, but my children's children and on from there will be a love for the things of God. A walk, a walk with Jesus that is the most important thing that, that I could ever experience. And in this passage that we looked at from Genesis, the, the life of Abraham, that, that's what he was talking about. It says, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. That Abraham would command his children to follow the ways of the Lord so that the result of that would be that God would bring about what he said. Now, what did God say concerning Abraham? What did God say about him? said that he'd be a father of many nations, that he would have children and not just have a son and that'd be the end of the line. Man, there would be a, a generational, he'd have kids and they'd have kids and they'd have kids. And they, I mean, it would spread all over the place. So he would train him up. I've chosen Abraham so he'll command his children in the ways of God. And then God's going to bring about what he promised. It's not just about you. It's not just about your kids. It's about your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids, that when you train them up and invest in them, you know that my children are benefiting from the example 
that my wife and I's parents set for us, that it wasn't just our lives, their grandchildren are benefiting. And I can live my life in a way that'll be a blessing to my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. It's not just about you. There's, there's this ring, this ripple effect that goes, out, that goes out from our lives. And that's one of the problems with our country. It's not a political problem. And the problem is that there are families that used to know better than to live the way that they're living. When you go back 50, 60 years, families operated differently. They, they knew better, but they also took it for granted. And there were moms and dads that while they knew how to conduct themselves, and they knew the word of God, they got lazy. They got lackadaisical when it came to training their children, admonishing them in the things of God. And so just like the Bible says, train a child up in the way they should go. And when they get old, they won't depart from it. You can look at people's lives and see the great departure from the ways of God. And you can understand that there were moms and dads that failed to train their children up. But you and I can make sure that doesn't happen in our lives. Amen. We can train our children up in the way they should go. And it'll impact our kids. It'll impact their kids. It'll impact their kids. It'll just continue to spread out from us and you'll leave a legacy. You'll leave an inheritance to your children's children. It is a privilege. It's an honor to be a mother or to be a father. Children are a gift and it's a gift to be cherished and to be treated responsibly. You'll be a steward. Your life is impacted. You, you are an example for good or bad. When you look at the history of Israel, read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. When you see these kings making foolish decisions, almost every time it'll tie it back to someone that came before them. And this king was this old when he became king, and he did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he followed the evil ways of Jeroboam who came before. It'll tie it back to someone whose lineage he's in, whose example he's following. Because your, your life, you are an example to the people that are coming after you. Moms and dads need to cherish their children. They, they are a gift. Children are a gift from the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Be careful how you speak to them. Build them up. Encourage them. Call out the gifts in them. Yes. You know, don't be, a, don't be a source of them stumbling by your words or by your actions, by your example. Jesus said, woe to those who cause even one of these little ones to stumble. That it would be better for them for a millstone to be tied around their neck and then be thrown into the sea. That's, that's a strong warning. Yes. That applies to moms and dads. Yes. It applies outside of that, but it also applies to it within the family. It's a dangerous thing to not set a good example and take your responsibility seriously. Children are a gift from the Lord. Don't, don't talk about them like they're a nuisance. You hear parents talk about their kids like they're the biggest pain in the butt they've ever had to deal with. I know it can be challenging, trust me. But be careful with the way you, you talk about your kids. They are, they are a gift. A gift from who? A gift from God. So it's not just about your kids. It's about appreciating what God has given you. That when you, you talk bad about your kids, you're disrespecting the giver of that gift. You act annoyed with the gift he gave you? And children are wonderful. I, I shared this with first service, and I said it was probably too much information. And I didn't learn from that mistake, so I'll share it with you as well. I mean, kid, I'm, I'm being genuine. Kids are so special. It's so special to get to be a mom or a dad. And so again, I apologize, this is crossing some sort of line, I'm sure. But a couple of weeks ago, we thought maybe my wife was pregnant. And so, you know, we're, we, we've, we've done that, right? <laughs> I'm 46, she's 56, we're, we're beyond where, where she, she's supposed to be. So I mean, we've, we've, we've taken extreme steps so that won't happen. But hey, we thought maybe. And I was out of town. I was on my way back from Texas this past week. And we said, well, you know, we're texting back and forth, talking on the phone. I mean, what do we, what if? We better, we better check. So she, you know, got a test. And she texted me back the results of the test, negative. You know what my response was? The, the crying emoji. Because even though I, I, it's probably best that, it, best that she wasn't pregnant. I, man, I was excited. Kids are so special. Yeah. I mean, it's such a wonderful opportunity. What a gift to be a parent, to be a mom or a dad. We've got to cherish that. I won't share the next text. But the initial text was a crying emoji. <laughs> Ephesians chapter six. Now we'll shift, we'll shift to the next couple of minutes and talk about 
kids, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is, it's right. It's right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. It's interesting to me that as Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians church, that he just directly addresses children. Just assumes that they're gonna be in the mix. He doesn't say, hey, tell them later on. The kids are gonna be learning in with the parents. They're gonna be drawing from the word of God that it applies to them. He can just, as he's writing this letter to the church, hey, and children, just like he spoke directly to wives, just like he spoke directly to husbands, now he's speaking directly to children and speaking into their lives. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So he's talking to both physical and spiritual parents. He says to obey them and to give them, to give them honor. Now, we won't take time to really teach on this, but there's a, a spiritual component to, to parenting. That there are fathers and mothers in the Lord that need to be honored and, and respected. And years ago, there was like a spiritual parenting teaching that was very strong and it was, it was manipulative. And spiritual fathers, spiritual parents became very controlling. Now, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe not, but probably... Uh, 30, 30 years ago or so, 30, 40 years ago, there was a strong movement in some churches, this spiritual parenting, that you had to check with your spiritual father, spiritual mother to do anything. And it was manipulative and it was controlling and it wasn't right. That's not the way a spiritual father is not someone who controls your life. That's not the way it's supposed to work. So what often happens in the church is that when they get out of a rut on one side of the road, they overcorrect and get into a rut on the other side. So now the pendulum is swung clear to the other, other side. And so there's a, just a complete rejection of any kind of covering, any kind of spiritual father or mother, or that whole idea of having someone in authority. There's been a complete rejection of it, but there's application. As we talk about children honoring their father and mother, there's a spiritual component that's acknowledged in this as well. As he says, honor your father and mother in the Lord. But he begins to address, bring this back into our families and our households to obey your parents, to obey them. Parents are to be in charge. I know that's super simple. That, that'll help some people. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. Genuinely, moms and dads are supposed to be in charge. The instruction is for children to be obedient to their parents, not parents be obedient to your children. I know it's very basic, but you watch some people operate, and you can tell that the mom and dad are taking orders from the kids. That, that's, that's out of order. That the way it's supposed to work is children are the ones obeying the mom and dad, not the mom and dad, obeying, obeying the children. And this, this is important because moms and dads are representatives of the Lord, that they represent him. So when a, chil a child is learning obedience in the household, they're not just learning to obey mom and dad. They're not just learning. My kids aren't just learning. When they learn to obey me, when they learn to obey my wife, they're... It's not just about learning to obey Beth and Luke. The lesson is really, it's, it's, the lesson is obedience. Not, it's not about me, it's not about my wife. The, the lesson is obeying. And so oftentimes, the issue, if you're a young person, pay attention to this, the issue isn't the issue. The issue is obedience, that, that, that's it. So hey, sweep the floor, empty the dishwasher, pick up your clothes, do your homework, I don't understand why that's such a big deal. And we can make this big deal in an argument about whether the dishwasher really needs to be emptied or not, or whether the homework really needs to be done or not. That's not the issue. The issue is your obedience or your disobedience to the instruction that you were given. Now, this is taken with the assumption that you don't have some kind of nut job pervert parent. There's some kind of common sense and decency in the parenting. So that's just kind of general understanding there. But absent of that, the issue isn't even just right or wrong, who has the better argument, who's better at presenting their case. The, the issue is obedience or disobedience, parent and child. That, that is the issue. So learning to obey your parent, really they are a fill-in. You're learning obedience so that when God begins to speak to you, when you begin to feed on the word of God, that you've already learned how to submit. Even if you can present an argument of why you shouldn't have to do it, why it's not that important, you know so-and-so and they didn't 
can do it and that family doesn't have to do it and you can present your case. That's not the issue. The issue is obedience so that when God speaks to you, you've already trained yourself to obey. Because there are times when God speaks to people and it doesn't make sense in the natural. You can't wrap your mind around it. If you think God is always gonna explain his ways completely and present just a thoroughly thought out reason diagram of why he wants you to do it, then you don't understand the way God operates. God wants you to operate by faith and there are plenty of examples in the word of God of times where God will speak to someone and it won't make sense in the natural, but the wise men and women in the word of God said, you know what, even though I don't understand why you're telling me to do this? Even though I can think in my mind of what I would prefer, I actually think this is a better idea. But that's your word. Because you said, I'll, I'll obey. Those are people that I would bet if you trace it back to their childhood, they learned obedience from their mothers and their fathers. It's not about the issue. And, and I want to give you an example. We could look at a lot of them. I'll give you one example where you can see God, God finds obedience as precious. God loves obedience and he hates. He has a special distaste for disobedience and a special appreciation for obedience. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15, just to give you a little bit of background, God has spoken to King Saul to go and to attack the Amalekites and to totally wipe them out, to eradicate them. No mercy, everyone, everything destroyed. That, that was the instruction. But King Saul made a few exceptions, reasonable exceptions, understandable exceptions, and God confronts him on it. And so that's where we're going to pick it up in uh, 1 Samuel 15, starting in verse 20. It says, and, and Saul said to Samuel, so God has confronted him through the prophet Samuel. Here's Saul's response. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So he's, he's defending himself. I, I did obey. And then he begins to list some of the ways, the exceptions that were made. Okay, King Agag, I let him slide. Some of the stuff that should have been destroyed. But, but what his intentions, he's trying to justify his disobedience by his good intentions. And, and God doesn't appreciate any kind of, of partial obedience equals disobedience. No matter, no matter what justification, no matter what motives and what intentions, no matter what explanations, what little, little things we add, but I was going to, God doesn't care about that. What God desires is obedience. L listen to what it says. Verse 22, so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in, the obeying, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Man, that, that is a powerful, powerful passage of scripture that gives us amazing insight into the heart, into the value system of what God loves and what he despises. Obey. Isn't obedience better than sacrifice? You know, God appreciates sacrifice. We, we can talk on and on about how special it is to sacrifice to the Lord. It's meaningful to God. But you know what's even more meaningful? To obey is better than sacrifice to heed, to listen. God, I hear you. I hear you. I'm listening. I'll do what you say, Lord. I bend my will to yours. He said, that's, that's sweeter than the fat, of, the, the fat, the most precious part of the offering, the richest part. There's something that's even sweeter, more precious, richer than that. I'm listening, God. I yield myself to you. To obey is better than sacrifice. If you want to delight the Lord, obedience, 
obedience. This applies everywhere. Children, obey your parents. That's, that's where it starts. That's where you, you begin a pattern in your life. And then it says on the flip side, as precious as that is, it says disobedience. It's like witchcraft. Now, most of, most of us would say, man, witchcraft, that's absolutely, it has no place. I won't even watch movies with witchcraft. You know, sorcery and spells and all kinds of wickedness. We know Ouija boards, all those kinds of things. Man, we keep it far from us. That's yucky. We, we, we know that. But he says, what's even worse than that? Disobedience. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as, wick, as iniquity and idolatry. You, you wouldn't have an idol in your house. You wouldn't say, okay, kids, it's time for us to gather around and worship Baal. I mean, that, that'd be completely rejectable. But when we tolerate stubbornness and disobedience, it equates stubbornness. Now, I will not listen. I will not submit my will to yours. It's like idolatry. I mean, this, this is a powerful passage of scripture. How horrible, how wicked disobedience is. And that's something that in a lot of our lives, maybe in the church in general, you know, disobedient kids and just disobedience and rebellion, that's just kind of like par for the course and that's just part of it. And we just kind of give a, a knowing nod. And th that's not the way we should handle this. If the Bible is true, and it is, it, it, it is foul to the Lord. It's dangerous to mess around with. This is what it says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, but know this, 2 Timothy 3, 1, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. What's that mean? Horrible, bizarre, backwards, awful, horrible times are going to happen. He's talking about the last days. And then he begins to describe, okay, let me, let me give you like what the, it's, how bad it's going to be, how wicked and twisted and turned around it's going to be. Men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents. Disobedience is nestled right in the midst of all. He continues on from there, listing these horrible, outrageous acts of wickedness, but right in the middle of them, people are gonna be disobedient to their parents. Their parents will give them instruction. I don't care, I'm not listening. And we live in a culture where that, that's acceptable. It's, accept, it's almost expected to have kids that, that don't listen to their parents. It says to obey, but it also says to honor. Honor, honor includes obedience, but obedience doesn't necessarily include honor. You can't honor without obeying as, as, a, as a child in your parents' house anyway. But you can obey and do it in a way that's dishonoring. If you obey your parents and you're grumbling and complaining and rolling your eyes and talking bad about them, you might be obeying, but you are dishonoring at the same time. So he adds another layer with honor. Honor your father and, and your mother. And we live in a culture that embraces dishonor. It's just, it's just, it's popular, it's acceptable, it's even celebrated. That's what we laugh at, that's what we find humorous. Pay attention to how much society celebrates dishonor. Something becomes humorous when it's directed at someone we should honor, but we dishonor them. A, a teacher in a classroom, a principal of a school, a police officer, a political representative, that, that, that we just, we degrade them and say harsh and critical and negative things. And that's considered, we're supposed to, positions that we should honor, you flip that around. That's the way our culture operates. You're supposed to honor your parents, not just obey them, to appreciate them, appreciate the effort, appreciate all that they've done for you, appreciate the sacrifices. And there's no age limit on this. It doesn't say up until you're 18. So you might not have children, but all of us have parents, amen? So we can continue to honor them. Appreciate what it took to raise you. Somebody was feeding you and clothing you and caring for you. I, I looked it up this week. It's between, on average, between 290 and $310,000 this, this is before some of the inflation we've had recently, to raise a child from birth up through age 17 or 18, depending on the study. So right, right around $300,000 to raise a child. That's for one. Well, you have two, three, four. Think about what your parents could have done with that money. The house they could be living in. The vacations they could have gone on. The, the cars they could be driving. 
But instead of doing that, they gladly chose, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm gonna clothe this kid. I'm gonna feed this kid. I'm gonna make sure this kid has shoes to wear, toys to play with. They, they poured that into you. They poured that into me, amen? So we gotta appreciate what our parents did for us and the sacrifices that were involved. And it's never too late. As long as your parents are alive, you can still speak honoring them after they've passed. It's not too late to, to honor your father and mother. And some of us have blown it, myself included. You, you can start to make up for that as you get older, as you gain wisdom and insight, begin to honor your parents, even after you're out of the household. Find ways to show honor, to be a blessing to your parents. Maybe some people need to make phone calls when they get home today to apologize and to find, find some way to begin to show honor and appreciation. I, I'm not saying I mastered it by any means, but for years, my way, you can ask my mom, when we'd go and visit, I don't know if I ever, with few exceptions, that I, I, and I'm not saying this is the way to do it, I'm, I'm just, there was some effort on my part, because I know I spent years dishonoring my parents. Rarely would I leave that house after visiting them without leaving money, you know, $100 magneted to the fridge or somewhere for them to, to find it, just something small. So I, I wanted to honor, I wanted to bless them, I wanted to do something to show them I, I appreciate them. Even, even after you're out of the household, honor your father and mother. Now, who does this bless? Who is the reward for? Who benefits when honor and obedience are given? It's not for the parents, although parents, it is nice when you have kids that obey and show honor. That is, that is nice. But according to this promise, who is the blessing for? The blessing is for the one who shows the honor, not for the one who receives the honor. The blessing is that life is going to go well for you and you'll live a long time on the earth. That, that is an incredible blessing associated with showing honor. And we don't have time, we could look at many examples to show honor is a powerful principle in the kingdom of God. That there are people that deserve your honor and it's in your best, in, not their best interest, your best interest to show them honor. Listen to this passage from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. You can see the opposite, that honor is powerful in giving life, prolonging life, making life sweet and making life rich. If you choose not to do that, on the other way, when you dishonor, it hurts you. He says your lamp will be put out in utter darkness. You're gonna cut things short. You're going to hurt yourself. And again, this applies to our moms and dads biologically, our parents in our household, but there's a spiritual component. Too often people, people feel free. When God places you in a ministry, you, you need to speak and, and act with honor to the authority and to the structure that, that's in that place of, of ministry for your own benefit. And I know it might be awkward about me saying that, it's for your benefit. It's a blessing to you because dishonor and rebellion, it hurts people when they dishonor. And you can be edgy, it makes you kind of acceptable and there's like a cool factor in our society, even in the church. There's like a cool factor when you speak disrespectfully of people that you should be respectful of. People can come from other churches and instantly start bashing the pastor that just cared for them for the last 10 years. And you think that's a way to make yourself cool. You're, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. Those who speak, curse, speak disrespectfully, they snuff out their own lamp in utter darkness. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.